You're listening to Ace Comicals. I'm Rahul, and today I'm joined by my co-host Leon. Let's go! Good evening, everyone. Welcome to Ace Comicals. I'm Rahul Jani. Uh, we're here without our dear leader, Greg, today, but he's left us a note in his absence. Um, I can't do a Greg uh, accent. Can you do a Greg accent, Leon? I can't do any accent. You're, you're from Leicester. You're yeah, from I'm from Leicester, Leicester but I ain't got... I, he, he doesn't have, like, full-on Leicester accent. I'll do it in Leicester accent. I was hoping to be here, but I'm tearing my bathroom to bits and reshaping, reconfiguring it. So maybe not. I wish I had the power to alter things with minimal mess or disruption. Fuck not having a shower. It's like being a festival, but in your own home. Buy comics. Peace out. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, it sucks not having a shower. So he's like tearing his bathroom to bits and stuff right now. Uh, he's been sending us photos. It looks looks like a combination of really fun, but really awful at the same time. But then that's kind of what being a homeowner is all about, I suppose. Um, yeah, it seems so. His bathroom looks like it's in uh, The Last of Us mode currently. Yeah, I want. It, I can't wait to see. It's like he, uh, everything is completely empty except for the toilet, and I, I to me it feels like he's saving it till last, and he's gonna <laughs> smash it with a mallet or something. But I don't think that's what he's doing. But I can't wait to see it when it's all not in a state of disrepair. And uh, yeah, good luck. I guess best of luck, Greg. He's wasting no time. He is wasting no time. Good on him for adulting for way better than we are. Um, <laughs> so. We're here in sunny England, and I say that sarcastically because it's pissing down with rain today, um, to bring you some chatter about comics, I guess. Um, so let's let's get into it. Leon, how have you been in the last couple of weeks since we last spoke? I've been good. Um, I have... It, it's, it's hard at times because you want to read stuff that you can talk about properly on the podcast, but at times you want to sneak in something or read stuff that you know you're not going to be able to talk about properly. Mm. um so i've been like after i don't want to really get into it now properly as well because i want greg to be here so we can actually have a proper conversation about it but um obviously netflix's uh lock and key um started airing on there a few weeks ago and uh after watching that uh it really like gave me a taste to go back to the comics that i've read several times before so I've been re-reading those. I got my sister to start uh, reading them as well because she watched the show and uh, wanted more after me saying that you need to read the book now. Nice. <laughs> so I've I've been doing that, but um, I will save my thoughts on the show until Greg's here because I think we, uh, the three of us, will have um, differing opinions overall <laughs> on uh, on on the show itself. But um, yeah, I've been basically doing that and um reading some some interesting things um but uh, a, a lot of it is in preparation for future stuff so i'll tease mm. i'll tease that how about yourself yeah i can relate to that part um certainly the preparing for upcoming episodes which we're not going to reveal too soon but the lock and key thing it's it's a shame that we've not been on the cast together for a while because uh, me and Greg watched it basically as soon as it came out. I think you've you've caught up since then. It sounds like yeah. Um, I is it worth asking just general yardstick of like how you felt? Thumbs up, thumbs down? Because I'm going to reveal now. I think I'm basically thumbs down on the show. Uh, don't know how you feel. Uh, as usual, 
uh, for me. I've got nuanced feelings on that. <laughs> so there's elements for me that are thumbs down, but there's elements for me that are thumbs up, which is why it'll be an interesting conversation, I think. <laughs> I think it will be, yeah. So let's let's save it for then. And what I will say is that it really has given me the taste to want to go back and reread the books again, which I, I haven't done, but it sounds like you've dived into that. Oh, it's so good. It's it's so good. Like I was just flipping through some of the art. I was like Googling for it because um, I was reading articles about, you know, differences between the uh, the show and the book and all of that. Mm. Like It did reignite some of that passion. Um, I saw a tweet the other day from Joe Hill uh, saying how uh, he's aware that the books are back ordered on Amazon right now, but urging people to go to their local comic book shop and pick them up, which I would I'd like to echo the same sentiment. It's always worth, you know, if you can't find it just from your easy, cheap Amazon Prime delivery, go into a shop and pick it up. They have them in, um, like, I'm sure they have them in your local library. Uh, they definitely have them in our local Waterstones, which is like our our local bookshop, Borders, etc. Because um, it's so popular. I've seen it on the shelves there for a long time now. Mm. Um, but yeah, go pick it up. It's, it's definitely worth it, especially if you even slightly enjoy the show, or if you like elements of the show, you'll definitely like the book. Oh, that's the thing. That this is what uh, I mean. Even more so when I say, "Oh, it was so good." Like uh, we know, and, and I know you know that the books are amazing, but they they hit even better once you've watched the show, uh, for reasons to do with the thumbs up and for reasons to do with the thumbs down. So uh, it, 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 I don't know. It's like um, not to be like a snobby book reader thing, because it's not really <laughs> that. But there's just something that the books give you that is more satisfying than uh, what you get from the show. And, and that's not even just to do with however you feel on it, but it's just the way how a TV show is constructed. It can't spend loads of time on certain things. It has to pick and choose. Whereas the book lets you sort of live in certain concepts and it doesn't have to worry about uh, a budget in terms of... Um, it doesn't have to worry about a budget in terms of like scale and production costs, just I guess uh, a budget of time, but uh, like between them, like Rodriguez and Hill really put in the, uh, put in the time and the effort and it's, I know it's very re rewarding. Yeah, for sure. I would, I would uh, echo that sentiment that I guess the book just had to make fewer compromises and can luxuriate in its, uh, in its story um it's very good i would highly recommend it um so any anything any other non-comic-y topics that you want to cover before we dive into our first comic hmm there, there's things i could talk about but you know i'm, I'm gonna gonna hold those back, hold those back. <laughs> okay can i know what they are just so like because if i'm interested i'll i'll dive in uh no because it's more like rando like movie noise and information and stuff like that so oh fair enough yeah when you got the squad that's when we can uh, delve in hey all uh cutting in quickly because i forgot to mention the three books um that greg had read over the last couple of weeks that he asked me to shout out uh the first one is called strange skies over east berlin that's by jeff loveness artist lisandro estheron colorist patricio del pesh and letterer steve wands uh, the second book is Alienated, number one. Uh, it's a Boom Studios book. That is by uh, Simon Spurrier, uh, artist Chris Wildgoose, colorist Andre May, and letterer Jim Campbell. And the third one is a DC comic, which is called Plunge, number one, uh, which is written by Joe Hill and art by Stuart Immonen and Dan McCade. 
Um, so the first comic we wanted to talk about was Griffin. Um, we've talked about Griffin in the past, I believe in episode number 65, uh, Greg interviewed the creator, Ben Kahn, um, and they were talking about, I think, the first few issues at that time. Um, as of February 26th, when this uh, episode will come out, issue number 11 will be out. Um, and that is the, uh, what's the word I'm thinking of, where it's the one before the final. Why penultimate. Penultimate, thank you. Brain <laughs> penultimate issue is out on February 26th. And then the final, the conclusion will be out on April the 8th. Um, so I'd actually talked about, uh, I talked about Griffin in the past after Greg had interviewed Ben. And I really enjoyed it at the time. I think I'd read up to issues five, maybe six, but you hadn't you hadn't actually read them, had you, Leon, at that point? No, I had not. Uh, I had not. And uh, actually, uh, it's worked out pretty well because diving in now um, has been uh, been great because now I don't have to, to wait to see things wrapped up. And <laughs> it's quite a nice feeling to be, especially for a book that you've been enjoying. And I pretty much consumed all of this in uh, a short space of time. So it's been a nice, continuous um, uh, sort of engagement um, in this story. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, been, it's been nice to do it. But like, I can see how uh, like it definitely has the hooks in there, there where like between issues, uh, they'll keep you coming back for more because. Um, yeah, it can be a page turner, uh, but in, in a way where you quickly get invested in characters and want to see where it goes. And uh, it brings up a lot of really uh, intriguing and like messy concepts and, and tries to wade through them with these characters as uh, honest as possible. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I think where I'd left off let me let me think about this. So when I left, left Captain Griffin in issue five, maybe six, I think it was, they'd been, let me rattle this off, I think they'd been labeled a traitor, they'd escaped their trial, they'd stole stolen an unwitting hostage slash accomplice, uh, freed their boyfriend, rescued a scientist uh, who was interested in crazy science, and then like Falcon punched themselves onto a planet to liberate it. Um, and that's like a lot of plot to cover in just six issues. And I... That, that's one thing I really, really like about this is the pace of the series. It's constantly something happening. It's not taking that much time to breathe, which I really like because I there's times when I want to sort of wallow in the sense of a thing. And I'll get to that later because that's how I feel about the next book I'm going to talk about. But the fact that there's this relentless pace in Griffin really, I don't know, it just really works for me. And like issue number seven where I picked off because I didn't reread the old ones. I just picked off, uh, picked up where I carried on. Um, and like issue number seven just resumes the adventure and it's, you know, off to save a new planet and, you know, it's just more horny, rogue, reluctant hero Starfleet crew thing, which I, re I really like. Um, and like the thing I've noticed by just whizzing through it is that, I don't know, the book, it continues to be like a blunt, a really blunt soundbite for an anti-fascist agenda with the backdrop of anarchic violence, which honestly I'm kind of here for. I really like that. I like that it's quite bold and in your face. Um, and it, it may also be about like the dangers of blind non-consequentialism, uh, but I haven't really spent too much time thinking about that. I'm not 100% sure where it stands on that yet anyway. It sort of just touched upon it, but I don't know if you have any thoughts on, on that aspect of it, Leon. Yeah, I definitely think that... Um... 
are a lot of like I don't know what the word is like pained concepts or like it's asking questions and through various characters about uh what their role is and what the consequences are of of certain actions and I think that it's not really like from where it is at the moment it doesn't feel like it's specifically uh, falling down on one field or the other but but generally saying that uh, action is better than inaction and but we need to consider the consequences of of actions and you you get a lot of cool moments of characters uh butting heads with that because uh they as as a group are are doing a lot of good <laughs> uh, but there's um even even an acknowledgement that like our actions could have created another another like a create a civil war in the future but like it, it's ridiculous to have inaction for fear of that stuff like you've got to take the boot off people's necks even if like i don't know in a 50 years time or whatever there's a, a different shaped boot on the neck it's better to ha- have done something mm. but then it, it delves into uh what what to be mindful of and yeah, I think it's the thing I like about it is that it's not um it doesn't appear to be super didactic with that and mm. it's more presenting like in- interesting discussion to be had a- a- around that uh but like not uh holding back on say the fun and the humor while doing so and uh, I'm interested to see where it goes in the finale because I'm not expecting like loads loads of those elements to sort of wrap up because I think like like real life all that stuff is very messy. Mm. But I do like exploring this through uh, the uh, character of Griffin and their their general impulse driven. Uh, <laughs> impulse driven but with a kind of a plan and i think that the main uh like linchpin of all all of this is like science and Mm. how progression and moving forward uh is is something to be um welcomed and achieved and there's a like in an earlier issue there is a conversation about uh like holding back science because of what uh evil can be done mm-hmm. uh, like it, it brings up um a conundrum to do with that and uh the character in question is like no like if you worry about that then you'll attempt nothing but i do think that by bringing it up it does create uh an interesting conversation because like what we've seen like in Silicon Valley and, and tech bros uh, creating like facial recognition stuff that's now being used by like authoritarian governments. There is a, a, a question to be had about the consequences, but it's always more nuanced than, well, you shouldn't have created that technology. You should have thought about that. Like all this stuff with mm-hmm. like deep fakes and all that. Um, but I think 
a lot of these things have to go hand in hand with like the right legislation and the right protections for people and it you can't just um like snip one branch and expect everything to be fine like all of these things as a society have got to be uh in concert well that's the thing i like that it doesn't like you said it's not didactic it's not causing the action to stare at the audience and say haven't you thought about this i like that it brings it up as like um the philosophy of the characters as they're in play and then just leaves it to you to think about what that what that means or like the consequences of those actions um because it's getting us talking about it instead of lecturing to us how we should feel about it and i i really appreciate stories that you know do that way to give you enough of the pieces to think about like it puts this um it puts this conundrum into context lets you think about it in a fantastical setting and then just leaves it with you to to sit and ruminate on on your own um i, I mean i really dig that i i really like what it's doing uh and i don't know i feel like we sometimes we need more of this stuff where it's quite it's, it brings it up and then it's kind of flip about it at the end where it it brings up these heady concepts and then sort of it dismisses it with like a raunchy joke and it's not like it hasn't introduced it into your life it's just it's not willing to give you all the answers because there are no easy answers and and also these these characters don't really know the answers they're like winging it to a degree yeah the the impulse driven nature of it is is really interesting because it's like if it has any sort of thesis it's like being chaotic good is better than being chaotic evil or indeed chaotic neutral i think but yeah, I'm I'm curious to see how it wraps up because, like you said, I don't think it's going to tie together all these threads. I think it's just a consequence of the way the characters live their lives. And I'm I just want to see these these people have like uh, a nice send off. I'm really invested in particularly the little scientist character. Um, want to see what they get up to, whether they get to like live out the rest of their life enjoying <laughs> the crazy science. So that's that's what I'm in it for. And yeah, I I really dig it. I I urge people to go check it out. I'm actually not sure. Um, what the, the the purchase availability is like i don't is it do you i'm i'm throwing you into it because i know you probably don't have the answers either but do you think it's available as like a to buy uh, floppy because we've been graciously provided the the pdfs to read by by ben in order to review it for the cast um but i i get the feeling it would because it's they're normally 14 page issues um i get the sense that maybe they're not available in stores but i'll I'll definitely do a check and provide links um, at the end of the cast to, you know, to let you know where you can actually purchase this. Cause I would, I would recommend it. Yeah. And like, uh, just before we uh, hand off with the, 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 the latest issue we were given hmm. uh, chapter 11, um, we'd like to shout out uh, Bruno Hidalgo's work on the art and colors. Um, there's a, something really nice about uh the sort of color design uh, for like different areas for the characters and like extra elements inside there like gas um and and uh, like smoky entrails from weapons um the use of like blood on silhouettes like mm. all of it it works really well and makes it like pop off the screen in 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 my turn and but i would assume off the page if available physical as well, that um, it it all has this really nice look to it that uh, that I love, and there's such a it's structured in a way that, like you're saying, the pacing on it is 
like the, the way the panels are constructed, the way uh, their relation to each other, the use of uh, actions over time, all, all of it is like neat. It doesn't um, you don't it doesn't get messy, even though you can have like lots of action. All of it is very coherent, and and I mm. quite quite enjoy that. And um, it's funny uh, catching up on all this. Um, there is like a reveal in like chapter nine, I think it is, that uh, was so good. I thought like like because I was already enjoying this, but the, the reveal in in chapter nine is so good and like flips the whole comic on its head in a way. Mm. And and I, I really appreciated that because that it was a really cool gambit. Because at first you could sort of read it as sort of having its cake and eating it because you've got a character who in the past has done meant to have done some like really horrible things and then you find out that uh no there's a thing to do with like universes <laughs> and uh, alternate universes stuff like that and but instead of feeling like a cheat it actually feels um so grounded and so um uh well, like weighted in 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 character uh, and story and theme that um yeah it, it worked uh, really well for me so i'm looking forward to the final issue yeah, I would agree with that. I think that that reveal, especially because it becomes so late in the game, and again, mm. not going to say what it really is, but yeah, that that was really effective for me. That really worked. Um, to touch on the art, yeah, because I did uh, unfortunately gloss over um, Bruno Hidalgo's work, and uh, I believe James Penyafil, who does the uh, color assistance, and Sal uh, Cipriano Cipriano uh, on letters. Um, the artwork is. Like you said, the, the the structure is quite Spartan in places. It's quite you know uh, bold, big chunky panels with you know big, big spaced guttering between them. But it's I don't know. I think there's a charming simplicity to like the layout, and I think um, I don't know. There's a lot of there's a lot of warmth in like how I don't know. I, I want to say like messy is the wrong term. I haven't spent enough time thinking about how to how to express this. But there's a like a chunkiness to the the character designs and everything as well, and I don't know. I feel like that's quite heartening. It gets you in. It, it makes you feel a little bit warmer to the characters because there, you know, there's there's a messiness to them. Um, but yeah, I've I've dug the design of this since I started reading it. I think it's it it feels like a it, it almost feels like quick and dirty in a way, but it's not because there's clearly a lot of love and time invested in the like in the design of this thing. So I guess it, may, it might be a bit of a trick. Like, I don't know. I, I'd, I'd urge you to check it out yourselves, I guess. Uh, I, I'm i a fan of all the color work. I'm a fan of the, like, there's just, there's a lot of like cool space cloud stuff, which I really like, you know? Like, yeah. I don't even know what I mean by that. It's like that that sort of um, fluffy, bulbous, space nebula sort of visual. Yeah, image. yeah. Yeah, it's, it's very funky. Um. But yeah, that's that's Griffin. Uh, Griffin most wanted, in fact. Uh, and yeah, I'll leave a, a note in the show notes to uh, to let you know where you can pick that up. Um, moving on, I guess I can talk about the main comic that I read this week. Uh, that was called "Don't Go Without Me" by Rosemary Valero O'Connell. Um, this is a book that's been published by Shortbox, which was originally via Kickstarter. And it's essentially a collection of three individual stories called Don't Go Without Me, What Is Left, and Contemor Con Tenora, which uh, is Spanish for With Fear, With Tenderness. Um, so I'll 
I'm basically just going to read out the blurbs for each of these stories as I go through them one by one. So I'll start with Don't Go Without Me. Um, the blurb for this is Two Lovers Sneak Out for a Night Out on the Town, a town where spirits and the supernatural exist as a realm within and alongside our world, with humans crossing over frequently. The lovers get separated and must barter with stories in exchange for clues as to where the other may be. But, unknown to them, each time they gain a morsel of information, they lose something too. So the way I would summarize this beautiful story is that it's... I, this is doing it a disservice, but also it feels like high praise, honestly. It's spirited away, but for lovers. Um, and it's also kind of funny to read this after I finish reading The City in the City by China Meevil, which I think I talked about on a previous cast. But hmm. uh, that's also a story about uh, layering and nesting of worlds, like being on the same strata, but like intangible to each other. Yeah. Um, so we follow this, this character as she walks through this world, um, having been uh, transported from our world into this other world as she's searching for her, her girlfriend. She walks through this world surrounded by creatures and demons who essentially like latch onto her and inhale and absorb her. When she talks, they breathe her in. When she describes her lover, they close their eyes and sort of get invested in all of it. And the story starts um, after she's been transported there, um, you know, by surprise, not really expecting anything to actually happen. A cute but sinister winged snake thing asks her to tell them about um, about her girlfriend in exchange for information on where she can find her because she's she's lost and she's searching for her girlfriend. Um, because nothing in this world, as they say, can fill their bellies like stories can. Um, so we we get this this extended sequence where she's describing her girlfriend in really intricate detail in the way that only in a really romantic way in the only a way a lover can with uh, with like romantic allegories and really personal affectations and you can you can tell that she's kind of reveling in the telling of this person um like she's clinging on to the idea of her with her words she uses the words to remember her um but we can see that while she's speaking we see that the demon she's speaking to starts to take on the form of the description she's giving so previously this demon had straight white hair which then slowly becomes wavy and brown and then um, she describes a freckle on her lover's face and then the demon has a freckle where there wasn't before and as she when she once she's done revealing these details the demon gives her like a really flippantly vague sense of where to find her and then her journey continues um, from there she meets a trader with like seemingly sincere goals uh, but he tells her he doesn't have her girlfriend in this wagon full of strange and disquieting bric-a-brac that he carries with him. And so this trader and the person that he's with, they ask her, will no other person do? And she replies, no, there will not. Um, and this, then she goes on to describe to them, because she knows that she has to give something away in order to get something in return. So she carries on describing her girlfriend to this new set of strangers. And the second description is less florid, it's more blunt. It's like she's lost the sense of the person she's looking for. And the trader recognizes that she's already given so much away and points her to a bar. And the bar is full of lecherous drinkers. And they're disappointed when she can't provide the details on this person that she's looking for. She's begun to, um, she's begun to fully lose a sense or the idea of this person that she wants to be with. And then from here, the story begins to unravel further. And I won't give the details because <laughs> I guess if, if I'm the person in the story in doing so, in revealing the details, I'd evidently lose the sense of the details. And I really want to hold on to this story because it, mm. I don't know, it really, it, 
it was really effective. It really touched me in a way that like, in a really romantic sense of that longing of a person in all the different ways that that can mean, you know, to be, to be longing for the, the idea of a person that you may not, you may no longer have access to. Um, and like the, the art and structure of this book really supports the story it's telling. So first off, uh, it's basically, it's got a really limited color palette. It's um, shades of peach and brown and black and gray and white. And as with the story, it's a book in its art that luxuriates in the details because so much attention is paid to details that aren't just about establishing a sense of place or a sense of personality or a sense of scale. It sort of like it opens with a few pages of full page art overlaid with almost like a like a stained glass circle effect. You know when you see those alcoves in churches where it's like a rectangle with a semicircle on top? And like yeah, yeah. The, yeah, so like there's this really intricately detailed bottom bit and then sort of like a montage of other images above it. So we we get these these pages where we see our protagonist. Who, the reason I'm saying protagonist or our hero is because we don't actually ever find out her name. Uh, we see our protagonist with her eyes closed and strangers discussing the idea of being transported into this other world where you have to stand at the top of these steps and close your eyes for 10 seconds. So we see a close-up of her face with her eyes closed and above her there are like there's a circle with pie segments where th these different couples, these different strangers who are talking to each other about this story, we see snippets of them explaining in their various voices how to go about doing this magical process of, you know, transporting over to this other world. And there are some really spectacular moments where the idea of being lost in the details is sold by the way the panels shrink and change on the page. So where, where previously the story was being told in these large page-filling panels, suddenly when she's giving her florid description of her girlfriend, um, we see her face suddenly hemmed in into these long, thin panoramic boxes, which are then overlaid onto a backdrop of billowing clouds. And there's this a really palpable sense of quietness to those moments where it's selling the, sen the, sorry, selling the sense that she's reliving those details for herself in order to describe it to the the strangers that she's telling the story to and it's almost like it's for herself and not just for the greedy critters you know the greedy demons and there's there's so many moments of this kind of contrast in the book um not just in the panel arrangements like i just uh, described but also like contrast in the color work and the scale of the characters because a lot of these demons have a different sense of scale than our human protagonist um like the first demon she encounters is this tiny cute little thing and they they come up to her and like really sensuously caress her and like look her in the face and uh, give her compliments to sort of wheedle her into to like lull her into this sense of um of giving which she may she doesn't realize is is a tragedy she shouldn't be lulled into this this sense of like giving so much away but you know she's tricked into it essentially um Another thing I really like is there's a lot of focus placed on to our protagonist's hair. Like she's a young brown woman with thick, dark, curly hair. And you can tell there's so much attention placed onto, onto the way that the light plays off of this, like of curly hair mm. and, and really makes the most use out of its limited color palette where like you can see the, like the shininess of her, of her hair, like just expressed with these, these peaches and these browns. Um, and I, I really like that. I think the, the the style is quite flowery and kind of cute in a minimalist way, but not cute in the like the Ghibli sense, which is, you know, because I alluded to spiritual yeah. earlier. 
it's it's cute in a minimalist way, which is then bolstered by an attention to detail into the squeamish, the squeamish, and like disquieting specifics of both the. I don't know if the word is like unnatural, anatural, where there's like an odd and romantic density to the world, where it's like there's so much, um, there's so much detail, but not in a a messy sort of uh, dizzying way. Uh, sorry, maybe, maybe it is quite dizzying. I, the, the, the sense I'm trying to get is it's not chaotic in the way that makes you feel like sickened to look or at, lost like, or. Yeah, I mean, the, there is a sense of being lost because I think that that comes off the page with how um, like dislocated she is in this whole new place and suddenly without the person that she's supposed to be with. I'm thinking more like it doesn't... I'm thinking of like... Um, Greg brings up James Stokoe a lot and we read mm. Alien Isolation or Alien something by him uh, a couple of years ago. And that was a... That was a lot of detail with the intent to make you feel a bit sick or a bit grimy. I thought this doesn't have that. This is like you can you can get lost in the detail um, in that kind of Ghibli esque way where everything is kind of hyper real. Uh, but then it's also really gruesomely inhuman. Not like not disgusting. Not like gruesome in the sense of like it being violent necessarily, but like fleshy, toothy, sinister demons, eyeballs, like splotches of nondescript fluids and whatever. Like. The, I don't know. Like, it, there's a real sense of disquiet. I think is is how I would say it. And ultimately, it all it it culminates in quite a sweet moment that I don't want to give away too much. But it's I think the themes of the story of like uh, of seeking your lover like really come together in a really nice way. And um, that's just one third of this book. So I'm going to go on to the next story called What Is Left. Um, and the synopsis for this is a ship that runs on the memories of one, its, of one of its occupants malfunctions and collapses in on itself in the dead of space. Alive but trapped, an engineer who survives the wreckage finds herself in this reservoir of memories, stranded alone in a patchwork dream of someone else's life. And the first thing I noticed is that where we previously had peaches and browns and greys, um, the color palette suddenly shifts into pinks, dark blues, violets, lilacs, lavenders, and whites. And um, it begins with a really beautiful, uh, beautiful and terrifying display of like hyper-stylized fluids exploding in space. So like, imagine if Hubba Bubba or like Pepto-Bismol <laughs> was, was like, you know, like, it, what it reminded me of, this is a really irritating touch point because it's not, it doesn't, like this, I'm gonna I'm gonna bring up Star Trek 2009. You know okay. you have the big red ball at the at like I forgot what it's called, but like it's um, like a big red ball of matter which is used to destroy planets. Um, it kind of brings to mind that, but if it was made of Pepto Bismol and that thing exploded and splooshed outwards, <laughs> and if it was unleashed into a space station and had like a mild, beautiful sentience where it knew how to spread and slosh in a like a beautifully congealed and rounded way before finally erupting in a cloud of weirdly comfortable looking doom. That um, sounds horrifying. <laughs> it's it's equally kind of gorgeous and horrifying in equal measure because it it does really accurately show that there's there's an unnaturalness to the way that this thing is spreading. But it's also quite like I don't know, it's also quite sensuous in a weird way because of like how um like dripping and bulbous it all feels anyway um 
the story is almost exactly what the synopsis says. It it feels really filmic. Like we follow this engineer who really who's trapped in these in the memories of this other woman. Um, and she very softly and carefully weaves her way through the memories of this stranger, unable to interact, but only observe. And as she does so, she engages with her sense of self at the same time, like being the sole survivor. She is a ghost in this other woman's life that she is, uh, she's, you know, making her way through. I don't know if the, the synopsis accurately explains this, but the, the concept is that this, um, like, I, I guess faster than light sort of travel spaceship is literally powered by the concept of memory. So this one person has to, it's it's not quite clear if it's a sacrifice or it's just a, it's a, it's a voluntary thing where it doesn't, I think it says at the start, it doesn't actually harm the, the volunteer, but the person has to go into stasis and um, it's essentially like all the moments of her life are revealed. All the moments of her life are laid open to bear and then utilized as fuel, which is a really interesting concept. And um, like, it's all very sweet because our hero, again, uh, unnamed hero, um, as she wanders through this stranger's life, um, she ruminates on who this person is and whether this stranger would have liked her if they'd have gotten to know each other better because they were present in each other's space um, as both being participants or both occupants of the spaceship, but they sort of give each other cursory hellos like colleagues. They And now she's sort of trapped in her dream and will never know if they would have gotten along. Um, and like like Don't Go Without Me, it it does also luxuriate in its details. It's, an ex- it's almost like it's an excuse for the writer to pace her way through like a lifetime in brief. And it really works. It has, it has a more organic and dreamlike quality than Don't Go Without Me. Um, Because it begins with our hero stumbling around in wonder, sort of like not knowing, not really knowing what's going on. And the experiences she's being fed are sort of holistic, like they're fed to her. Um, And yeah, so all each of the the different images and the frames, they spill into each other quite fluidly, uh, breaking consistency and scale and environment to leave like a really interesting sense of dislocation like an unconscious stream of thought series Mm. of images and then as she begins to settle into what she realizes is a this this woman's uh, memories and also possibly the end of her own life being kept alive by the fuel of this stranger's memories the panels begin to solidify it's like she begins to get a a grounding in the scenario she's in and then she starts becoming a navigator a captain of this dreamscape and she spends less time silently observing and or questioning and begins like a one-sided conversation with the stranger telling her stories about her own life which overlap with the scenes she's observing and this also i i feel like it culminates in a really a, a really touching way like it's it's all these, these these each of these stories is one like perfectly cohesed series of vignettes which self-support its own its own thesis i think so this one where the first one is about um love this one is about loss and the loss of the life that you could have lived or the life that somebody else has lived and you know that that idea of sonder not you know realizing that this other person had their whole other entire life and there are so many overlaps that she never got to know about this person she'll never get to know and it's it's all it's extremely sweet um and i think this was my favorite of the three uh, stories that are in this book um and then i'll 
I won't spend so much time on the last one because I kind of rushed my way through this final story, but it was called uh, Contemor Contenora, uh, With Fear, With Tenderness. Um, so the synopsis is, for years, the residents of a small oceanside town have been living in the shadow of a sleeping giant who is prophesied one day to wake up and lay their well to waste. As the foreseen date of their impending doom draws near, the town decides to put on a festival on that, same, on that very same night to celebrate their lives and face whatever fate awaits them together. Um, so where the previous color palettes were like browns, oranges, pinks, uh, violets, this is mostly gray and white and black with splashes of red and orange. And um, I think I think there's a reason it has that color palette and it's the reason it's the final story in here because it's it's about connection at the end of things. And a lot of that, that color palette brings to mind like sunsets and um, you know the, the ending of days. And the story itself sort of revolves around the idea of the sleeping giant who wakes up as the sun sets. Um, and it's a really sweet, like tender look into the way that people behave when they know that there's a potential for their, their time to come to an end. Uh, they don't know exactly what's going to happen. They don't know for sure whether this giant's going to wake up. They don't know for sure what the giant will do if and when it wakes up. All they know is that they have this concept of a day to celebrate or a day to mourn. And it is showing the different ways that the people of this town choose to spend their final moments. Um, and that it, it's extremely touching. I, I really liked seeing all the different ways and the different concepts of the way that people find meaning in their final moments. And essentially it's all about, they find meaning in each other. They find meaning in the comfort of companionship and giving, giving time to the people who mean something to you. And I, it's, it's extremely nice. Like overall, I really, really, really like this book. I think it has um, so much value to it. And like, what, I don't know. I, I think, I think you should read it. I really think you you in particular would enjoy it, Leon, because it's a very it's it's comics in the way that I really like, where it's not just a prescribed series. It's not just linear stories, you know. Like sometimes I get a bit tired of the the Marvel comic book thing, where it's like story from A to B, and you know how a narrative works. This is it's doing something different with the medium. It's doing mm. like a slightly more. Um, I, I use the word holistic too much, but like it's doing that thing where it wants you to dive into the concepts and just fall into the pages, luxuriating the art, the way that the characters are luxuriating in their scenarios. And yeah, I, it just, it really worked for me. I mean, maybe I was in the right place at the right time for it. I picked it up from Gosh Comics and then I just, I was waiting for my girlfriend to, to run an errand. I sat in a cafe and read this book from cover to cover in one sitting while like surrounded by cool, like um, lo-fi hip hop and uh, a cup of coffee. And I think maybe that was the perfect place for something that's so somber, uh, but also uplifting. <laughs> like it, it was, it was perfect. I, I just, I loved it. It's definitely a picture you've painted. Yeah. I mean, that's, I think that's why I could be so florid with how I felt about it, which is something I do often struggle with when it comes to these stories or, the, you know, describing comics in general is where I can, I can do a, like a, a stark description of, what what is on the page and what the story is but this gave me a real sense of like how i felt about it like i knew how i felt about it coming out mm. of this book and that's that is quite a rarity for me that's something i generally only get from from movies i think because that medium particularly speaks to me with the way it presents 
uh, emotion or the way it presents um, these kind of moments. And I don't know, there's something, I don't want to discredit the book by calling it very filmic because it's obviously not, it's working to the strength of its medium really well. But for me, the fact that it can make me feel the way I feel when watching film is, I don't know, I think that's astounding. I, I really enjoyed this. Yeah, it's definitely something that I want to pick up. Uh, we were talking about it uh, previously, uh, like precast, um, and yeah, it looks it looks great. Like I, I love the the art style, and it, it it sounds like it's doing a lot of really cool things and playing with the medium in a in a really fun way. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I don't know if you know any of the other works by the illustrator. Uh, I think I mentioned Rosemary uh, Valero O'Connell. She was also the illustrator for Laura Dean Keeps Breaking Up With Me. Which... Yeah, yeah. That that's where I recognised the the name. Mm. You haven't? Have you read that one? Yeah, I have. Right. Okay. Okay. I see. And generally, like, I I can't remember how you felt about it, but that was a thumbs up, right? Uh, that that was on a cast where I wasn't able to be on there last minute, but I I really really enjoyed that bit. Okay, well we'll have to. I'm gonna. I think I'm gonna pick up that one next. In fact, so maybe for the next cast we can have a conversation about that that book. Oh, definitely. Like, I I just loved that that style, and it really complemented, like the. And it's something that we talk about a lot on here, where not just art being cool or being an aesthetic that we really uh, we find visually pleasing, but when it there's almost like a, a symbiosis or something where everything is working in tandem and the the art is uh, just complementing uh, the story. Um, not really complementing because the art is the story as well, but you know what I mean. Like the writing and the art feel like they're one. When when that happens, it's it's really really nice. Mm, yeah, for sure. Also, want to shout out the like the quality of this book, the production, literally the like the tangible quality of this book. Because um, I was re I was skimming through the the Kickstarter campaign, which ended in November twenty nineteen. Uh, but a lot of the different uh, goals were one, just have the book be uh, you know ready for production, and then some of the later ones were to introduce like French folds, which are the nice little flaps on the inside of the the jacket and then another one was gold embossing on the cover and they clearly hit all their goals because all of the thing all of the features in that kickstarter campaign are now available in my hand and the actual the book itself is really 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 pretty like um first i mean for a start the pages are printed beautifully like the, that limited color palette i talked about isn't mm. isn't a sign of like making compromise it's a very considered uh it's a considered stylistic choice and each story really pops off the page really well. There's like a really high level of quality to it. And the, the cover itself with the gold embossing, like, I don't know, there's, because it, it's so restrained. It's like, there's a lot of, there's, it's a silhouette of this girl in like these really uh, sort of suffused pastely pinks and blues and violets and looking out in looking out of like I think a, a bus window into this fantasy land where she sees uh, a version of herself sort of tearing open and in the split in her face there's like another face inside in made out of this gold embossed image and it's just it's really striking um, and then also the uh, the author's name in that same that self same uh, gold embossing which is I think uh, like if you could put your name in gold on a book, like why wouldn't you, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's beautiful. I, I'll I'll lend it to you um, if you can't find it for yourself. But yeah, 
I think that's all I have to say on that one. Um, did you want to move on to one of your books now, Leon? Yeah, yeah. Um, I will talk about a Parable of the Sower, a graphic novel adaptation. So this is a comic based on the 1993 novel by Octavia E. Butler. Uh, the comic is obviously written by Damien Duffy and the art and colours are done by John Jennings and it's published by Abrams Comic Art. The, uh, the team previously did the award-winning adaptation of Butler's Kindred and I believe the, the next book is going to be another adaptation of one of her books. Um, and so like my, in the past I've, Obviously, Octavia E. Butler is a legendary sci-fi uh, author uh, who, who um, I think, passed in 2006 mm -hmm. and um, wrote a bunch of series like the Patternist series, the uh, Exogenesis series. Um, I had previously only read two of her books, and that was uh, Kindred, uh, which is great, um, and Bloodchild and other stories. Uh, and I'd always heard good things about uh, the two parable books, uh, Parable of the Sower and Parable of the uh, Talents, mm. but I never got around to it. And I was almost hesitant to jump in with the graphic novel because I thought, oh, it'd be cool to have read the book and then I can compare how effective it is. Because uh, I haven't yet read the Kindred book, but after reading this, I'm definitely going to. Yeah, if I can just very quickly chime in, because like I thought I recognised the name, and then now that you've explained that it's um, Octavia Butler who wrote Kindred, I remember there was a conversation around the time that Black Panther came around, where uh, everyone was talking about um, Afrofuturism and mm. like sci-fi, uh, like sci-fi as written by uh, black authors, and Kindred came up a lot in or sci-fi fantasy. Um, I think Kindred was one of those that came up at that time and it's been on my list for a while in fact so it's i didn't realize one there was a graphic novel made of kindred or indeed other stories by octavia butler so that's that's a revelation to me i'm i'm gonna seek this out next i think yeah, yeah i'd uh, definitely recommend that I'm, I'm looking forward to reading the graphic novel as well mm. and um so like parable of uh the sower i'll just read what they put on wikipedia because it's a good um capturing of the the basic plot but uh, it's set in the 2020s where society has largely collapsed due to climate change growing wealth inequality and corporate greed well that's um unrealistic mm. i thought this was sci-fi this is science fantasy <laughs> uh parable of the sower centers on a young woman named lauren oya olamina who possesses what butler dubbed hyper empathy or sharing uh, the and that is the ability to feel pain and other sensations uh, she witnesses. Uh, as a teenager growing up in the remnants of a walled community um, uh, not too far from LA, she begins to develop a new belief system, which uh, she comes to call Earthseed. Um, and then I will not read the rest because I think it tells you too much. <laughs> but um, yeah, it basically goes from there, and then there's an inciting incident which changes this into a bit more of a survival story. But yeah, it's uh, dystopian from the jump. But um, yeah, so not having read the book yet, 
um i can only go off uh how the comic is and not as as an adaptation but uh as a comic it is um it's pretty effective it's pretty brilliant because um the way how at least at the beginning uh it's sort of written as like uh in the style of diary entries of interstitials so we get a lot of uh text boxes which uh, appear to be written on lined paper and it's um and between each like uh like jump in in time uh we get uh lauren's sort of building the uh foundations of this earth seed concept uh and uh, that sort of comes from the fact that her dad is um a preacher so there's a lot of pushing and pulling between uh like religion and um people's roles in society and what what's expected of you um especially what's expected of you as a survivor in this awful time and being a, a young african uh, american woman but uh yeah i was just <laughs> this book uh, like the the it, it definitely paints a picture that is very bleak uh, especially early on it's uh oof this is like full dystopia of capital d it's mm-hmm. um but it, it's not in like an endless misery way and it's not in a sort of grayed out the road roadway um it's mm. it's more framed in a way of like so we spend a lot of time at the beginning inside one of these walled communities and to get certain things done like some people just never leave um and that's usually like older people the infirm they just stay at home and the community looks after itself and you have your normal neighborhood beefs and uh friendships um and but out, outside the walls some people have to work um outside the walls and going outside is very dangerous and we get a lot of pages of the, the general structure of this world so lauren's dad is very big on like making sure kids know how to use a gun like this is how horrible this world is so when they're young and i think uh, they get like properly get their own gun at like 16 or something like that but they they have to go out and like hunt and it's like the scavenger animals that are left um out so like you have just feral dogs and uh, like birds and they have to get rid of these things because now they're pests because things like food are are scarce so they, they can't have them eating up the uh the seeds that have been planted and um yeah like the way all of this stuff is rendered, you're taken through this world of just day-to-day survival. It's almost mundane. Um, and we, we get anecdotes and stories about people in, from the neighborhood or p- people that uh, the lead character knew in the past. And like, you just get these little snippets. Like I say, it, a, a, a lot of it is just feel like you're getting diary entries and you get, like these little snippets into uh that tell you so much about the world like um one early on that I won't spoil too much but there's one early on about um an older lady in the community who who's died one day and we get a little snippet into her how she wasn't she 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 was very religious um like conventionally uh religious and 
she wasn't a fan of the uh of certain people she didn't like uh lauren's dad because um he married um a uh, latino woman uh she wasn't a fan of the uh, asian american couple even though when she got robbed um the whole community including the asian american couple all like donated stuff that they had to replace the things that were stolen from her and it it does show you this sort of tenuous uh, push and pull. Like elements of that kind of remind me of Do the Right Thing, where uh, this Spike Lee movie from 89, uh, where you have this community of communities pushed together and they have to survive in this, like, using, I guess, the magic word of this episode for me again, symbiosis of uh, how they thrive off each other because each person has a different role in this world. and how like as things start to to crumble as systems start to crumble people have sort of turned insular um and looked after themselves and like playing in the background on a on a general macro sense you have um a like authoritarian uh president who's risen up and like capitalism has reached its full end stage where you basically get in uh like work towns where you basically are owned by the company to a degree. Like they'll give you housing and food and stuff, and then you just work for them in, in perpetuity. And um, it brings up a lot of these things, and it's, re- it's really uh, prescient. And like it is wild that the original book was written in 93. And, I, and I've heard this about um, Octavia E. Butler's work um, in the past on some of the, the novels I haven't read, in that she is so um on the money in terms of her like future predictions because the uh, the book starts off in 2024 and like the comparisons with this like presidential figure um are very like trump and uh, people might read this now and be like oh god another trump allegory or whatever because they might not know that this is adapted from a Mm. book uh, from 93 but it's it's so it just nails that and it does show you that um in the rise of like uh, subtle uh, which is like i guess in for commas because a lot of that stuff isn't subtle um <laughs> subtle at the moment but it is subtle where people can sort of gaslight you and say that's not happening you're this isn't uh, hitler again da, 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 because of xyz but it it shows you how those things can sort of quickly take over and there is a roadmap of authoritarianism where you can get promise people things who are in a certain position and move forward because like i think the main thing we have at the beginning of this is that um we've made it to mars um and uh people are decrying that the mars mission and the money that uh, this book's version of nasa are um wasting money because on earth we need that money people barely got food and and water um and like uh at the end of their like tether and we're wasting all this money on space so there's like big discussions to do with that and the presidential nominee at the time is saying that oh, I'll, on on like my first 100 days i will like just x that out like it's a waste of money and that's playing to like populist uh anxiety and fears at the time and this is like for us it's um vocalized by uh uh, Lauren's dad, who um, her reverend dad, who is like, yeah, uh, what's the point of this? And there's so many little um, 
asides or just little comments that Lauren will make while uh, giving us um, a sort of commentary that just tell you so much in so little. And I, I'm really interested in how it's presented in the book. I think that um, the adaptation, from what I can tell, is really good because if I didn't know that this was based on a book, um, you just wouldn't know. Um, like the way um, the panels are used, the way the uh, the way the story is like doled out to us, it feels so natural for the the art form. Uh, the way how um, Lawrence like hyper um, empathy is is shown where we get like visual representations of what she's feeling. So there are people who've just got disease outside the walls and no one's got money for, or the ability to um, get themselves cleaned up. Mm. So when she, whenever she has to leave the walls, it's an awful time because they're all riding on bikes um, and they have to go through the, the equivalent of like the shanty towns and anything that she sees, it, like she can feel it. So she sees someone of like um, disease sores, on their face mm-hmm. and she can feel feel it um she can see someone of like uh missing missing an arm and she it, she can feel it she can like 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 a literal empath it, feel the pain the loss yeah um and the way it's presented is so um so stark and but so so honest that you can you can feel it and you uh it manages to give you empathy for her having hyper empathy hmm. But uh, yeah, well, going through this, it, it's it's someone like struggling, or, or more so struggling against society and what it's imposing, and where their faith lies, and it asks and answers a lot of really existential questions. But it never feels soapboxy or um, like preachy in a way. Uh, a lot, a lot of it is very matter of fact and. That's where we get with like sort of the die and depressing circumstances. Um, but the the tale of survival is, is inspiring and uh, it, just, it makes for like a really good read. Like I haven't even spoken about, uh, so like I mentioned how Damien Duffy did a really good job adapting this, like the words, but the, the art and colors by John Jennings are gorgeous. Like really makes the ugly look look beautiful which is a, a very uh, douchey thing to say. <laughs> but, like, um, it is so good. Like, it's hard to explain, because I'm not good at explaining different art styles. So forgive me. I can't, I can't, I don't have the art history knowledge to really effectively talk about this stuff, but I'll try my best. But the way it's done, it's like painterly style in ways. So some of this, where it's close to the diary entries, it looks like it's um, not doodles, but artwork that uh, Lauren has put in her book. And then the rest of the stuff has this, it's like a mix of like paint style, especially the backgrounds where instead of things just being done with like, you have a, an outline, a black outline and then a color filled inside. Instead, the outlines are of the color itself. Um, and you just have lots of like, striking lines uh creating the definition within the color and you've got uh like blend so much blending of tones and shading that it it, it, it not only creates like um sort of a depth uh, and 3d sort of feeling but it also 
and it gives texture and um, I don't know a, a tangibility to to the world while still looking really good because at times it looks um, kind of like street art mm. um, where like uh, like spray canned uh, graffiti style especially the way how like um, outer colors are used uh, and like uh, outlining around ca characters or like um, character shading like it, it you just can tell there's a layering happening like there's an under under surface and then a yeah surface. and then because i'm because i'm looking at the the previews on the amazon page right now and like i can see what you're saying about how they've got the highlights around the edges of the character after like as a post definition thing so they've um like with street art or with uh, graffiti it would be layered up from the bottom outwards and then outlined at the end like i get that sense of it and it feels quite earthy as well from yeah because uh, like um you do it has, it has a very consistent color palette for it, it for where what's going on and and how it's going on and at the beginning you get a lot of browns uh, and they're in cal dry arid cal california so you get a lot of browns and origin uh oranges and um like earthy earthy tones and then those are, are broken up by Things like uh, Lauren's uh, earrings, which are which are gold, or um, there there's a bit near the beginning where there's um, one couple has like so it's, it's in the future. So th there's these like wall sized TVs, but like in a children of men style, it's uh, oh progress. We, the progress is further than where we are now, but it stopped and then never got better. So they bought this TV like ten years ago. And it's the only one still working in the neighborhood unless everyone else has got at best a tiny little box TV. So th they would invite the whole neighborhood and people would pay money to be able to watch the TV. And that's how they're watching like the Mars mission. Um, and there's a whole thing of like, oh, it could break at any moment. And like, mm -hmm. uh, we know that the, sa the sound on it is getting wonky now and fuzzy. And at any, any time now that TV could die. But while it's alive, it's this whole uh, thing that the community goes to. And during those scenes, uh, you have the like really strong blues as as uh, as the sort of the light of the TV um, colors the walls and and lay, uh, lays on the characters and it just has this really good consistent look to it that just makes it so appealing to read despite uh, some of sort of the 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 like dour situations and uh, like I mentioned here a lot. I like clarity. Uh, I I do like. Um, that's not to say I, I don't like very um, impressionistic artwork. I, I love that as well. But I do like a lot of clarity and some of some some of the like panels used here just they just get to the point and just they tell you a lot about what's going on in that situation as it's being told. Um, but they also tell you a lot about uh, like what's outside the borders, what's outside the gutters, like what is happening in this world. You get snippets, and like, like it's like children's men, where you're given a little that tells you a lot about the world, and mm. you can just you pick up so much just from thinking, oh man. So if that's like this, I wonder what X is like. And I, I think, I think that is just. It's a good way to pull you in, and it does make this book um, a 
like the definition of like a page turner because um you just want to see what's going on and because it's an, it has some time skips in it during the story uh a lot happens but like you don't get every little single detail about that and that works in a good way because it, it it's it's not ambiguous in a bad way it's more like okay these are the main actions but this is what this is what the world's like and this is this is what can happen uh, if certain things are left unchecked and i know i really like that and um to to mirror back to you like i'd, I'd highly recommend giving this a read well, I'm I'm skipping through the first. I think I've got access to the first twenty pages on Amazon. So I've got a couple of couple of things I want to touch on. Like the way you were describing the art. Um, would you say I'm? How how do you feel about if I said it's like it's reminding me of, um, you know, when you go to like big cities or like European cities and there's artists doing chalk paintings on the sidewalk. On yeah. The I get I, it feels a little bit like that, which I think points to the graffiti street art thing you were saying, where like I feel like it's big, chunky blocks of chalk that are then being or like charcoal being laid on top of each other. Yeah. And it's funny you say that because I've got that in my notes. I just didn't say it. We're in, <laughs> we're in sync. We're in sync. Yeah. Yes, definitely. Like it's very chalky. And even just the way mm. like um, some of the panels are done. So a lot of the panels, you'll just have like white gutters or you'll just have normal sort of like super straight um um like panel boxes and then and then some especially ones which are to do with memory and telling a story that happened in the past they're like hand drawn and they have like a a chunky uh like quality to them where they're not exactly straight but they they and then they they feel like bulky and thick but in a very sort of like you can see like the imperfection of of how of the person if it was done in chalk, like as they um, let go of pressure to leave, lift the chalk up and the lines change a bit, like there's a, a very sort of real grounded feel to it. But yeah, the, the line works beautifully. It does feel very like tangible. Like again, like I'm get, in, in my head, I'm getting this idea of somebody literally like holding a piece of chalk as like, like a like a knife in a stabbing motion in their hand and like scratching onto the floor or on the wall or something. It's that sort of sense of it where it's quite straight lined and angular in places like the way that um like i'm looking at a shot of the like a, a crow picking at another dead bird or something and um like i don't know just the, the the angles of the shape of this thing where you can tell that the outlines are sort of being roughly strewn on top of the like the block the block color of the body like it's yeah, yeah it's really cool it's really interesting uh really interesting art Yeah, and 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 like having all of that texture, it's still really clear, and all the all the characters, like some, because sometimes you'll find with some books, especially ones that feature a lot of characters, like this does. Uh, sometimes we spend like one panel or something with some characters as we move through, but like every character has such a unique uh, idiosyncratic look to them, and I really appreciate that because there's no like uniformity amongst them at all, and you, everyone is like very different shades uh, and it really fits like the location of where it's set. It just looks great. Yeah, I think I've picked up on this in the past because I was looking for other books to read after reading the Expanse series. And I think I've heard people talk about mm. like how this could almost be a precursor to those books if it was a, like a slightly more um, 
gritty or I don't know. Because the thing that I, I kind of missed from the Expanse books is they're really fun down to where sort of like semi hard sci-fi where it's all about like, you know, there's no faster than life, uh, faster than light travel. It's all about like the politics of having like a government on earth and then a separate government on Mars and how they conflict in the intercedings like space between literally the space between planets. And I've been told that this is like, it gives you more of the, the, the social dynamic, like what it means to be on the ground as, as a human, if, if the earth wasn't like this pristine, almost like Star Trek utopian, utopian yeah. thing. Yeah. I, I, is that right? Do you think that that, I, 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 that, that sounds uh, very accurate? I mean, I, I can't really delve into what happens later, but um, yeah, that sounds very, very accurate. Okay. Yeah, I'm definitely curious. Like, even just looking through the artwork, it, it looks really, <laughs> looks really good. How how big is it? Like, how many? And it's it's a hard question to ask over over audio, but like, how long did it take you to read through this? Uh, not too long. It's um. It's about what is it? Let me get the thing. Oh yeah, it's uh, two hundred and seventy-two pages, and that's more like two fifty. With all... actually, it's less than that. It's more like two forty or something of actual stuff, and then there's, there's like extra stuff in here, which is is worth reading. But like, um, yeah, it it didn't take too long. I I got through it in in like a couple of hours, uh, and I was reading really slowly. Cool, because yeah, I've I've just been looking at like how. So John Jennings is the illustrator, and he's also the one responsible. I think you said this for the Kindred graphic novel. Yeah, yeah, it's um, the same team. Right. I'm yeah. I'm super interested. It's annoying because like <laughs> where I had no books to read, now I've suddenly got four. <laughs> but, yeah, uh, it's added to my list already. Yeah, yeah, um, I, and I think the last thing I will say about this book, so. I got it on Comixology and it looks uh, gorgeous. Often with these um, books where it's um, like graphic novels that are usually creator owned, I, I've, I've been varying more towards um, like physical for some reason. I know they just feel good in the hand, even though I prefer reading stuff on my iPad. But uh, this is one that I bought because I just wanted to read it there and then. But I think for Kindred, I might um, check out the uh, physical. Well, it's it's funny you bring up the hardcover because I'm looking at again looking at it on Amazon. Um, the title will be released tomorrow <laughs> in, in hardcover for Parable of the Sower. Nice. So I don't think yeah you wouldn't have been able to read it in physical before the now anyway. But um, yeah, I guess that's a really uh, current pick then. I guess when, when did let's see if I can see when when it actually came out. Um, I think it was a few weeks ago. Oh, okay. I see. Yeah. It's really current. Okay. Yeah, highly recommended. Cool. Great. So that's all the books that me and Leon wanted to cover for this week. Um, Greg has left me with some comics on his pull list for me to read out for you guys. So uh, let's have a look. So for the 26th of February, he wants me to bring up Fantastic Four Grim Noir number one, Finger Guns number one, Giant Sized X-Men, uh, Jean Grey and Emma Frost number one, Ice Cream Man number 18, which is one that I was going to point out. Uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Jenica number one. And something called Tomorrow number one as well. Lots of number ones to catch up on. I don't know how he's going to find the time to, to read all these while he's busy doing his housework. He'll um, find the time. 
Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't doubt it. But like, I, at the behest of fixing his bathroom, <laughs> I hope he, I hope he actually like gets his shower installed as a priority over these comics. Um, but you never know with him. And then for the fourth uh, of March, we've got King of Nowhere number one, uh, Strange Adventures number one, which he's taken pains to point out that me and Leon are going to like this one. We're going to like this one apparently. So we'll keep an eye out for that for next time. And then also Superman Villains number one. So many number ones. Where does he find the time or the energy? 2020, uh, baby. God, it's the year of comics. Uh, <laughs> this is the year that like he's going to have to start reducing his load-bearing stack. Because like I'm assuming his ceilings are higher than they were before. So he's either going <laughs> to fill up the stack or like take it as a sign to not have a stack anymore. I know he's gone full into the digital thing. But let's hope he... Uh, I don't know. I don't know what I'm getting at. I just hope he still enjoys this hobby <laughs> as, <laughs> as much as he used to now that he's got like different responsibilities. Um, At this point, I think it's not even a hobby. It's like a raison d'etre. <laughs> I know this is his, his reason for being. It's just uh, the reason he exists is to be a consumer of comic art, which is, you know, let's be honest, it's not a bad life. Um, Cool. So you can find us at uh, basically at www.acecomicals.com. That's the hub for everything. You can find us on iTunes, Pocket Cast, Stitcher, a bunch of other places. Uh, basically, if you want to listen to us and you're not already listening to us, which is weird because you're hearing my voice telling you about listening to us. But if you want to listen to us, acecomicals.com. Uh, Twitter at acecomicals. You can reach me on Twitter at monke. That's M-O-O-N-K-E-H. How about you, Leon? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Leon Everett. Cool, that's Ace Comicals, over and out.